Hey, welcome to worship here at Trinity. My name is Mike, and I'm the site pastor for our South Naperville location. I'm going to be spending some time in the Word with you today as we're in the second week of our series we're calling Unchristian. Now, we took our cue from a book by the same name by Lyons and Kinnaman, where these guys study the younger generation's viewpoint of us as a church, and particularly our reputation. Now, from their research, they found that there are several issues that are keeping people from coming into a relationship with God because of the way they see the church behaving in the world. Now, we're going to own some of that today, and we're going to follow Jesus into a redemption of our reputation around these four issues, along with hypocrisy, irrelevance, and insincerity. We're going to be talking about today judgmentalism. Now, as I was digging into the chapter in Unchristian uh, by Kinnaman and Lyons, uh, the first few words caught my eye because it's about tattoos. I don't know about you, but I happen to have some tattoos on my back that I've gained over the last few years. And uh, along with that, if you had approached me 30 years ago and said, Mike, do you have any tattoos? I would have said, no, I'm not really into that, but thanks for asking. The reputation of tattoos and people who had tattoos 30 and 40 years ago is significantly different than it is today. Tattoos are way more accepted today. And in fact, in the research, the authors found that more than half of the younger generation either has a tattoo or plans on getting one. So having a marking on your body is more accepted these days. Things have changed in a very similar way, in a dramatic fashion. The reputation of the church has changed in the last few generations. In fact, as the research has shown us through this particular writing, the church has gained a bit of a big head. The church has got some pride about it, which from the world outside the church looks at us and says that we are quick to find fault. But the good news is that Christ has redeemed our reputation. And even if we learn some things about how our reputation has gone wrong in the world, we can follow Jesus into a new perception, a new reputation for the church. That in particular would be that we would begin to see people, we would show grace by seeing people according to the potential they have to become Christ followers. Now think of it this way. We've been calling people unbelievers, which labels them and separates them from us, calls us distinct believers from unbelievers, haven't we? What if we took a second look at this label and replaced it with something like pre-believers. The idea that we are all in need of a savior and that there are some of us who are outside the church and some of us who are inside the church, but we are all in need of the same savior. What if we relabeled ourselves along with people who we used to separate from ourselves to the label of unbelief? I think about the story of Matthew, <clears throat> the tax collector, and the apostle. And Matthew, of course, as a tax collector, was a traitor to his own people. He betrayed them every single day, again and again and again, by collecting taxes from them and then giving them to the Romans, who were oppressing them militarily. So he would do that, and he would make a certain significant amount of income for himself by keeping a portion of the money he collected for himself. It's made him very wealthy, and it also made him a social outcast. It made him a religious outcast. It made him a vocational outcast. He was every kind of outcast there could possibly be. And in fact, even after he came into the church, 
I bet some of that reputation followed him. Jesus had the audacity to call Matthew, also called Levi, right out of the tax booth where he hid from the public and extracted their tax money. This is what Jesus did. He inspired in Levi, Matthew, to throw a party after he issued that call. He said to Levi, come follow me. Levi was inspired to throw a party and invite all the other undesirable people that he hung out with, his fellow tax collectors, sinners, and outcasts. And Jesus sitting right there in the middle of them, Levi, Matthew, experiences the grace of God socially before he experiences it theologically. Pretty amazing effect Jesus has on the room. But as verse 30 in Luke chapter 5 says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained to the disciples of Jesus, who were brand new. They complained to him and said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now, the original language is tax collectors and sinners, but they were considered to be pretty much pond scum. And in fact, I bet that reputation probably followed Matthew into his new life with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't care about our past life. When he calls us and we trust in him and follow him, the past life and the past reputation we had vaporizes and disappears, even if the world hangs onto it. We are considered new creations in Christ. And Jesus teaches the whole rest of the room this dynamic when he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And what culture and what people and what generation across all time doesn't understand the dynamic of sickness versus health? Jesus says, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, religious leaders, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, let's stop for a second, because the church has a temptation here. And I would submit the church has acted on this temptation more times than we probably care to understand or admit. There are times when we look at the word call, that Jesus called Matthew, and that Jesus calls you and me as a command to repent, that we better repent, that we should repent. And in fact, along with this idea comes our usurping of, of the, the concept of needing to repent. We are tempted to tell people inside the church and outside the church that God commands us to repent, that we ought to repent because the church knows what's right and wrong, and we should learn from the church what's right and wrong. And therefore, we should turn and repent because it's what we ought to do. It's the right thing to do. But Christ never approaches people in the church or people out of outside the church in this way. He never approaches people from the command and you ought to do it point of view. Instead, he approaches us from the point of view of a medical provider, someone who acknowledges sickness and then gently leads us to treatment. Now, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to be in the hospital before for any length of time or to have any surgeries, but I do have another tattoo right here at the bottom of my neck, and that's from having a thyroidectomy several years ago. You see, I discovered, with my doctor's help, a cancerous nodule the size of a golf ball right on my thyroid, and it had begun to metastasize or spread to the lymph nodes around my neck. The doctor said, hey, 
uh, thanks be to God, we have caught this in enough peri- in enough amount of time where you can have some therapy. You can get surgery and have radioactive iodine, spend four days in the hospital, radioactive, and have us come in and measure you with a Geiger counter. It'll be awesome. I said, yes, I agree. But he said, if we hadn't caught it in time, the cancer would have completely spread all over your body and would have taken your life. You know, in the moments when my diagnosis was revealed to me. I had a choice, didn't I? In the same way, we have a choice in the spiritual world. Our choice is fueled by the Holy Spirit. We are given the ability to choose to follow Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We're given the power to say yes to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And in the same moment, we also retain the free will to say no to Jesus. And in many cases, People will go for treatment and understand that the treatment asks them to make a sacrifice and they will pull away from the treatment and choose not to be treated when they have a medical condition. I have a friend like that whose mom is struggling with stage four cancer and her mom is continuing to smoke. And even though she's advising her mom lovingly and gently, mom, you really do need to quit smoking. So your, your immune system is struggling as it is, and the chemo is trying to take effect. Her mom's not ready to quit. Everyone has a choice. And in the moments when I received my diagnosis, I had a choice as to whether to receive treatment. We know theologically that the Holy Spirit gives us the choice and gives us the power to choose yes to Jesus. And so that invitation, that Uh, A word that comes from Christ is not out of coercion for us. It's not trying to force us into his kingdom. It's literally an invitation where by the power of the Spirit, we get to choose. So we are called to lovingly share in the inviting process, in the process of invitation. And as such, we see the language of Jesus from the point of view of a caregiver, one who invites and one who allows the Holy Spirit to build in a person's heart a response to the need to repent, not the idea of coercing folks, forcing them, guilting them, or judging them into repentance. You know, we talked about Matthew coming into the kingdom of God and being one of Jesus' followers and disciples. We talked about the idea that his reputation probably followed him, but it was Matthew, the very same Matthew, who recorded the words of Jesus telling that before we look into the speck and look at taking the speck out of another person's eye in the church, we should look to the log that's in our own eye and the fact that Christ can remove it. We should look at that dynamic and we should take the words of the following parable to heart. Look at what Matthew records here. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You know, I was in seminary a few years ago. I had a professor who wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew. And he writes about this particular parable in a way that I love. He says, rather than the traditional way of considering this parable, where the dogs and the pigs are outsiders in the church, are, are unbelievers and are people who are, are not going to you know, follow Jesus and choose Jesus. He says, instead of that, What if we considered, which would be more in the context of Jesus' teaching about the speck and the log and the eye, what if we considered the idea that judgment is actually the pigs and the dogs that we are keeping all people from? In other words, the pearls of great price are 
the pre-believers outside the church and the believers who are flawed and failed and imperfect inside the church and these great and precious gifts to us as a church should be protected by us as a body of people from judgmentalism. The dogs and the pigs who will turn and tear us apart, what if that is judgmentalism? If we continue to allow judgmentalism to rule the way we see pre-believers and believers who struggle in the church, judgmentalism will continue to eat our lunch from the inside out. I love what Gibbs wrote about that, my professor. I think he's absolutely right. And the idea that Jesus would teach us to see all people as pre-believers, as those who have yet to receive the good news of Jesus and perhaps will receive it through you and me. I've been watching this series, it's called The Chosen. And in fact, it's crowdfunded because you download the app through a mobile device and you pay a little fee to provide the funding necessary to continue to make the series. It's an amazing portrayal of the life and ministry of Jesus. And as you get into two or three episodes deep, you begin to see that Jesus is calling his first disciples. And in this particular episode, it's right before Jesus calls Matthew right out of the tax booth. He has just brought all these fish into the, the boats of Simon Peter and his friends who are desperately having, you know, come out of, of a night of, of fishing with no results at all. They didn't catch a license plate or a spare tire or nothing. They come back and they have nothing to show. And in fact, they owe in the, this rendition, they owe a lot of taxes to Matthew, the tax collector. But Jesus produces this miracle and loads up two boats full with fish, which ends up settling Matthew's uh, uh, tax bill with Simon Peter. And as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he puts his arm around Simon Peter. And as he's leading, up, leading him up out of the water, he turns to him and says, as a fisherman, these words, he says, fish or nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you. He says, from now on, I will make you fishers of men. You are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. Now look at this, all kinds of people. People with tattoos and people without tattoos. People who are rich and people who are struggling with money. People who have friends and people who are alone. People who are outside the church and people who've been in it their whole lives. You are to call all kinds of people into the good news of Jesus, to the atmosphere of it, to the rendering of it with love and not judgmentalism. And look at what Jesus says to him next. I love this. He says, I will sort them out later. Now, when were we tempted and when did we take on the responsibility of doing the sorting out? Jesus is the one who sorts them out later. Let's let him do his job. Let's do what we are called to do, which simply is to follow him. Let Jesus handle the judging. We know that there will be a day coming when he will do that. He will come on the clouds and he will judge. But before that day comes, let our work be about calling of all people, the pre-believers and the believers who struggle. Let our time here be preserving that good and precious gift of those God has given us 
from the dogs and the swine of judgmentalism? What if we advocated for them? What if we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shared love with them instead of judgment? This vision is for you and for me from this day forward. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the way he teaches and the way he puts things so that I can understand them. Thank you for his calling of people, not only off the shores of the sea where they were fishing, but right out of the tax booth. God, we've been both of those people in our life. Every single one of us here on earth, we've been that person. Thank you for redeeming us. Now, God, we ask for a redemption of our reputation so that there be no barrier, no wall, nothing standing between those who would believe and your good and precious promises. God, come and use us now. Change our hearts. Remake us. Redeem us from judgmentalism into a life of your love and power and peace. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen and Amen.